And welcome to Reim Ahuvim. This is Rabbi Yitz Greenfield, MS Marriage and Family Therapy. I am so happy you are joining me today on jrootradio.com, which can be found on jrootradio.com, jrootradio hotline, jrootradio app. There are so many ways to listen to this show. Thank you for joining me today. We have a very, very interesting and important class today. Bears the Shemis Barach. We, we do what we do here as follows. We try to learn and develop new skills and tools to renew and strengthen the connection that you have with your spouse, for those of you who are married. We do this not only from a social science perspective, but we use the Torah as our guide and source of navigation. Again, thank you so, so much for joining me here today. It's a live show. March 3rd. 2016. You might be listening to the show actually on Monday night. We actually replay the show. The show is replayed, rebroadcasted on Monday night at 10 p.m. Okay, today I want to focus on a piece of your marriage which may or may not exist, but even if it does not exist, even if this particular piece of your marriage piece that I'm going to introduce. Maybe it exists in your marriage, maybe it does not exist in your marriage. But regardless, I think it's important to listen to your show, to this show, because you're going to hear parts of personality which you might be seeing, maybe not in yourself, maybe in your spouse, maybe it's not part of the relationship itself, but you're going to see that it's important to know this particular piece because it can really empower your marriage to be able to understand how to navigate through an extremely, extremely um, big challenge, which I find is permeating in a lot of people's marriages. Okay, what am I talking about? Okay, let me start like this. I want to start with the following. There's an incredibly interesting Rambam in Hilchus Deus. Incredibly interesting Rambam. You know... Sometimes, you know, thank you, by the way, for all your feedback, and I appreciate those of you who tell me that you appreciate the fact that we integrate Torah into the show. It's not like we're integrating Torah into the show. This show is about Torah. It, it's, it's about marriage. Marriage, Torah, it's all the same, right? If your marriage is based on just some sort of secular principles, you, you might have a big problem. I personally believe that if the secular, the psychological or secular um, principles are not Torah principles, we have a problem. You're going to have a problem in your marriage. So today, I, I want to introduce today's class by quoting a Rambam. A fascinating, fascinating Rambam in Hilchas Deus. And the truth is, this particular Rambam is a good Rambam to learn, not just for marriage, for all aspects of your relationships, what, what, not, not just your, your husband, your children, your in-laws, your friends, your teachers. It's a very important Rambam. Why? Because this Rambam talks about midos. It talks about, it talks about person, your personality. And it talks about measurements. Midos is really measurements of personality. And there are different parts of our personality. There's, there's, the, there's din, and there, there's rachamim, there's kas, there's, uh, there's, there's shame, there's simcha. There's all sorts of aspects of midos, different midos that we have. And the Rambam, when he talks about midos, there's one thing that he keeps on saying, very, very important. 
he says that there has to be a balance. You know, last week we spoke about balance. There has to be a balance when it comes to your midos. The only true thing is that the guy is too jolly. You're way too, oh, this guy's so happy all the time. You're too happy, that might lead to Kalas Rosh. On the other hand, if you're depressed, well, that could take away from your avodah to Kalash Baruch Hu as well. Someone who is always using midas adin. Always midas adin. You know, it's always right or wrong and tit for tat. Well, you know, there are places for that. But there are places for rachamim also. So the Rambam speaks about midos. He talks about you want to have that perfect, like, you know, that equestential, uh, perfect equilibrium. The Rambam says, think about the two extremes of whatever midah you're talking about, because every midah has two extremes. For example, uh, let's say din and rachamim, right? So din means justice, and rachamim means mercy. So how are you supposed to, ha- how, you know, how are you supposed to lead your life? And I'm, by the way, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about general. How are you supposed to lead your life? You have to find that middle ground, some sort of middle ground. Okay, I'm not always like really strict, but on the other hand. I'm not always giving in. So there has to be a middle ground. However, when the Rambam speaks about two things, when talks about kas, okay? And when he also, when he speaks about gaiva, in other words, he's talking about anger, and he's also talking about gaiva, meaning haughtiness. Um, he says that, he says that there, there's no such thing as a middle ground. No such thing as a middle ground. Kas should not exist, period, at the end. Gaiva, which means haughtiness, it's all about me, that also should not exist. What you should have is something called anava, humility. We should all feel humility at all times. There's no such thing as a time where we're not supposed to feel humble. At all times of our lives, we should always feel humble. So sort of, it seems like the Rabbam is implying that when it comes to anava, when it comes to gaiva, there's no such a thing as a middle ground. It's anava, just anava, just being humble. That's the way we have to feel, feeling humble. Now, that's a little scary thought, because does that mean that we should just walk around all day feeling like a nothing? Should we just be, you know, in our relationships, in our communication, in our life, we should just have, be permeated with a feeling of like, we're just a nothing, I'm just a nothing, I'm, re- I'm a nothing, I'm really a nothing. That, is that what the Ramam is saying? Comes along the Lecha Mishnah, and the Lecha Mishnah says, absolutely not. You be very, very careful with what Ramam is saying. Ramam is not saying that you should, you should feel like, like a complete extreme of another, where you feel like absolute nothing with no self-esteem. The Lecha Mishnah, obviously you could look it up, but see how he says it. That is in Hilchus Deus that he says when it comes to Hanava, there also has to be a balance. But the point of the matter is, is that there's no such a thing as sometimes I have to be begaiva, hori, and sometimes I have to be beanava. It always has to be anava. It always has to be anava. But even in anava, there's middle ground. Even in anava, we have to be very, very careful not to feel completely empty. There's no, there's no directive from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem doesn't want us walking around feeling empty. Hashem wants us walking around feeling all day that the whole world is created for us, feeling good, feeling happy, and having a sense of self-esteem. When Rav Avigdor Miller speaks about this, ladies and gentlemen, he, he talks about Moshe Rabbeinu. And we all know that there's nobody ever, no one ever is going to be, even Mashiach will, will not have the level of Nevius, the level of prophecy that Moshe Rabbeinu has. You know, these days we're learning in Parsha, we're reading, relating, Kriyat Torah, all about the Jewish people who left Mitzrayim. This week we're, talking, we're still talking about 
We're talking about the Mishkan, we're talking about the Truma, we're talking about the Avodah, we're talking about Big Day Kahuna, we're talking about, we're talking about that era of Moshe Rabbeinu. And I, I want to remind everybody, that there was no one ever, and there will never be anyone like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was, was on such a high level, when he communicated to Hashem, it was a direct communication. It's like no one ever, ever had or will have. Even Mashiach will not have it. So Ravikdas Miller, he says, he asks a question. He says, you know, let's not kid ourselves, okay? Moshe Rabbeinu was definitely on a higher level than anybody ever was or will be in a, in a certain stars, his level of communicating with Hashem. He, he's not going to, what is he? He's not going to realize that? Of course he knows that's true. If he compares himself to anybody in the world, obviously he knows that he's on a much higher level. So how could, how could someone be, I don't know, what's he, he's fooling himself? He's, oh, I'm really not. He's fooling himself? No, no. The question is, what's the benchmark? What are you comparing yourself? Are you comparing yourself to other people? Is that what you're comparing yourself? Are you comparing yourself to the person across the street? Are you comparing your marriage to the marriage across the street? Are you comparing your relationship to the relationship across... Are you comparing yourselves, yourself? You're comparing yourself to others? Or you're putting yourself in, in the realm of comparing myself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when you do that, you think to yourself, wow, compared to Hashem, I'm like, I don't to say. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu's godless. Moshe Rabbeinu's godless was realizing the, the big picture. He wasn't comparing himself to other human beings. He realized the big picture. He realized how small he was compared to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that was his focus. But that does not mean that Moshe Rabbeinu walked around feel, feeling like a loser. He didn't walk around feeling like, I'm a nothing. Chas v'shalom, chas v'chalila. Moshe Rabbeinu realized he, he, the schosen the, the that he was given, the connection that he was given, and, 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 and no question about it, Moshe Rabbeinu had a healthy sense of self-esteem, 100%. But self-esteem has nothing to do with anava. That's a very dangerous game that people play, you know, when people talk about anava, and, and they sort of like, people think, oh, you know what an anav is? Oh, I know a guy, I know this guy. My neighbor, he's such an anav. You know why we might think he's an anav? Because he's shy, he's quiet, doesn't say anything. Well, that might have nothing to do with anav. He might just be embarrassed. He might just feel depressed. He might just feel inferior to other people. That's not anav. Anav is when we're, we're putting ourselves compared to Kaddish Baruch Hu and having this balance. And this is very important, ladies and gentlemen. Having this balance. What balance am I talking about? A balance of dependency and a balance of an emotional fulfillment, or let's call it independency. Really, I'm talking about marriage, but it's very true in general. Meaning, when we're talking about our relationship with Akadosh Baruch Hu, on one hand, we have to feel like Akadosh Baruch Hu, I'm really nothing. I mean, compared to, first of all, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. All I have in this world is, is, is Bechira. That's it. After, after my Bechira, you take over. All my successes, all my failures, everything that's going on is all you. It's completely you. I have nothing to do with anything. I, I, could, I could decide. I could try. This goes for everything. This goes for speaking. This goes for actions. This goes for driving. This goes for business. This goes for relationships. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this goes for relationships. And, and this is very important. You know, Don't you think that you're going to listen to my show and you're going to say, oh, listen, I have a great show. It's incredible skills and tools. I put in my marriage and everything is, is much better. Yeah, it might be much better, but that's not because, not because of me and not because of you. What we're doing is we're, doing, we're putting in our ashtadlis, but the success 
that's Hashem. That's completely Hashem. Hashem is the one who allows. Every day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, 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 is replenishing the earth, ourselves, with energy. It's all Hashem. Very, very important. Don't fool yourselves in thinking that you're in control. On the other hand, don't fool yourself into thinking that you have to feel like a loser. It's a very complex balance, meaning like this. Let's say you accomplish something. Let's say, for argument's sake, you know, relationships, your marriage is getting much better. Okay, You're working on your marriage. Either you listen to my shows, or you listen to other shows, or you're reading books, or whatever. You just decided you're going to work on your marriage, and your marriage, Baruch Hashem, is, is getting really much better. And you're feeling, wow, you know, I'm really feeling more connected to my husband and everything. So now you feel accomplished, like, wow, you know, wow, I'm doing really great here. I'm really proud of myself, everything that I'm doing. On one hand, you should feel proud of yourself. You should, you should feel proud of the ishtadlus, the effort that you're putting into your marriage, the bechira choices that you're making, and you can feel very proud of that. On the other hand, you can't say to yourself, you can't say to yourself, well, it's all because of me. It's not because of you. It's because of Hashem. Hashem put the idea into your mind. Hashem is causing the actions to actually happen. And that Kaddish Baruch Hu is actually permeating the success in your relationship. It's really Hashem who's really doing everything. But what we are doing is we are putting in the Yishtalas and we can feel proud of the fact, good and fulfilled, like, you know, wow, I'm really working on my marriage. And thank you, Hashem, for making it happen. It's like that balance. That balance. You know, there's a very well-known story in the Medrash Tanchuma, in the beginning of Parshish Tazriah, it's an, if you haven't heard the story, you got, you got to hear the story. It's an amazing story about Turnus Rufus. Turnus Rufus asks Rabbi Akiva. He asks him, says to him, you know, Rabbi Akiva, I'm going to ask you a question. Which actions are better? Those of Hashem or those of man? So Rabbi Akiva replies, I mean, Turnus Rufus was, he was not a good man. So Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, guess what Rabbi Akiva replies? Rabbi Akiva replies, those of man. So again, he asks, what do you mean? But surely man is not able to create heavens and earth. So Rabbi Kiva replies, don't ask questions about things that humans have no control over. Rather, ask questions regarding things we do have control over. So Turnus Rufus asks him, he says to him, so now, okay, then why, why is there such a thing as a bris milah? Why is man circumcised? So Rabbi Kiva replies, I knew that you had it in mind, and that's why I said man's actions are better. The proof is that a grain of wheat is not edible, but a loaf of bread is, is edible. You see, Turnus Rufus was asking, why, if Hashem wanted bris milah, circumcision, why didn't Hashem create a man already circumcised? So you see, here's a that everything in nature is perfect. Rabbi Akiva replied that nature is far from perfect. Hashem expects every man and woman to complete the act of creation by perfecting nature. Rabbi Akiva's ideology is the antithesis of, of you know, the culture of power, which is what? Which nature contains ugliness and that, that everything is perfect. But no, nature, which is, I don't think it's nature, it's nature is also a very bad word. But, but this world, the way HaKadosh Baruch created this world, is this world contains a lot of ugliness and a lot of brutality. But it's up to every man and woman to partner with Hashem in perfecting the world. And when we do that, and when we perfect the world and we become better people, we should feel good about ourselves. Not because we were the ones who did it, but we were the ones who were part of this process. Hashem allowed us to be part of this process. And yes, I feel very good that I made the right Bechira choices. 
That's what I feel good about. The, I made the right Bechira choices. Not the, uh, the success is not on my hand. Rabbi Greenfield, so what does this have to do with marriage? Oh boy, what does this have to do with marriage? This is so important in your relationships, and this is so important in your marriage. And I'll tell you why. Because similarly, your relationship with your husband and your relationship with your wife has to be a balance, a culmination of both dependency and independency. You hear me? This is very important. Dependency and independency. Now, the thrust of our focus in marriage is to accommodate our spouse's dependency. And, you know, when it comes to your relationship, you know, last week we spoke about spending quality time with your, with your husband, spending quality time with your wife. And the truth of the matter is, if you're not spending quality time with your wife, with your husband, I, I am going to tell you right now, your marriage is going to dwindle. This, I'm not saying chas you, you know, it's going to be over, but it's going to dwindle because you're going to feel distant. You're not going to feel connected. And, and men, I'm talking to you especially right now, for you just to be in the same house with your wife or just eat the meal with your children in your house with your wife, that might do it for you. It's not going to do it for her. It's not. She's going to want to spend quality time with you. She's going to want complete, unfeathered access to you and to connect to you, but not in a way where you have your phone on, not in a way where you know, there are other people around and you're thinking about different things. The complete attention and focus is directed towards your wife. That's it. You know what that is? In essence, it's dependency. It really is. If you're talking about independence, that's, in, that's true. That's dependency. And most of what you do in your marriage has to focus on accommodating your spouse's needs. Man to the woman and woman to the man. Okay, and obviously there's a cycle. Obviously it starts with a man and then you know, the woman reflects. Vahula, we spoke about it. We're not going to get into a complicated discussion right now about roles. But... Even though we talk about dependency and the focus should be dependency, there has to be a certain level of independence. Now, before, before I speak about this, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening today, wherever you are. I, I want to tell you that I got a very interesting text last week. At the end of yes, last week's show, I was talking about quality time. And a woman texts me, and she says to me, Rodrigo, thank you for the show, Vahulu. But she says to me, there was one thing that you alluded to which I might disagree with. Okay, and I'm reading this. And I want to tell you, I agree with her. I agree with her. And, and I spoke about this last week. And the truth is, I was speculating based on other issues, other areas. But I will say this on the air. I was wrong. I was wrong. What am I talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Quality time. I said that when it comes to Hatzalah members, if you're husband is an Atsala member and he needs to keep his radio on or he needs to keep his phone on because he's a doctor or Atsala or whatever it is and therefore he can't spend quality time with you without without his radio on etc. I said that that might be fine. I said it might be fine and the reason I said it honestly is because I was thinking Atsala's nefashis. I was thinking about you know saving <laughs> save people the and stuff like that. But I was wrong. I was wrong. And after reading this woman's text, I, I'm going to say this. I was wrong. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you're a doctor or a Hatzalah member or the president of the United States or whatever you are, you need to make time 
for your wife, and that time has to have nothing else there, not a radio, not a phone, not a anything. And if you're a doctor, so you are going to have to tell your secretary or whoever it is, if it's an emergency, tell them to call 911 because I'm spending time with my wife right now. And if there's an Atsala member, you're going to have to tell the main place in Atsala, well, please Please have other Atsala members take care of it. Now, obviously, if you're the only Atsala member in, in the town, maybe there's a problem. Speak to your posik. But you know what? You have to make complete focused attention time to your wife. And there's no excuses. So thank you, by the way, for that text. I appreciate that. That was a good text. And I was wrong with that because I was thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? You're 100% right. I was focusing on the uh, emergency part of it. But you're right. But now, what I want to talk to you is about independence. Of course, the thrust of our marriage, the relationship has to be focused on dependence, and I want to accommodate you with whatever you need. But when the boundaries are crossed and the relationship starts becoming what we call fused and enmeshment pursues, the relationship will become toxic. Do not, do not fall into this trap. It's a very dangerous trap. In the world of therapy, it's called fused, enmeshment, codependency. It's very dangerous. You know, when we first get married, when we first get married, there's automatically going to be enmeshment. That, that's for sure. You know, you get married, you feel so good and connected. And it's like a wonderful feeling. You feel like all drugged up as if to say like completely like in love, completely in love, right? Most marriages start like that. Some marriages don't. Okay, fine. So you have this like rosy glow that seems to permeate everything when you find your new love. Okay. It's a very necessary stage. It is a necessary stage. But it can't stay that way. Some of you are listening to me, Rabbi Greenfield. What do you mean? Don't you always say you have to go back to the Of course you have to go back to the original and feel connected. But it can't be enmeshed. It can't be fused. Okay. First of all, let me tell you. What I'm about to say, I'm going to use a framework that was created by somebody by the name of Randy Krager. Now, she's an author and a co-author of four tremendous books, very, very, very informative, educating, and empowering books on borderline and, and narcissistic personality disorders. Really, I want to tell you, she's done tremendous, tremendous homework when it comes to these issues. And she puts a framework when it comes to enmeshment. And I'm going to use her framework, and and I'm, I'm, that's going to be sort of like the the you know the jumping ground where we're going to start from, and then we're going to sort of try to intertwine it into our lives, into our culture, and our community, and to really see that this is really all in the Torah. Okay, like this. Let's talk about enmeshment. Okay, what is enmeshment? I say enmeshment. What does enmeshment mean? Fuse. What are, we what are you talking about? Okay. Here's what happens. You see. You first get married, you're all in love, and you're close, and this and that. Now, when time passes, and you stop becoming an individual with your own separate thoughts, feelings, beliefs, opinions, hobbies, and so on, it's nearly universal in high-conflict relationships where one or both people can be, can, can be seen as enmeshed. Now, by the way, it's not limited to partners. Even, a, even families, whole families can be enmeshed. Now, there are several categories of enmeshment. We're going to talk about it soon, but first, let me just tell you. If you have a relationship that's enmeshed or fused or codependent, 
you're going to feel like your well-being is not complete unless you're meeting your partner's needs all the time, all the time. Now, you're going to constantly feel, you or your spouse, This, by the way, it doesn't mean that you're both enmeshed. You could just be one of you that's enmeshed. You're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be very worried that your relationship is not close enough. You're gonna feel like you know I should really be my partner's shadow, and if we're not intertwined emotionally, we're nothing. And you're feeling like like you constantly need to be involved in every aspect of your husband's life or every aspect of your wife's life. And if you're not involved, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel resentful. You're gonna feel like. What do you mean? I'm your wife. I'm supposed to know what's going on all the time. I'm your husband. I'm supposed to know what's going on all the time. Now, healthy relationships also needs a strong connection. However, the difference between a healthy and unhealthy relationship is that in a healthy relationship, each person can pay t- you can pay attention to the other spouse's needs and 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 uh, emotional needs, behavioral needs, without losing or compromising your sense of self. That's the key. Not to lose or compromise your sense of self. So neither of you is requiring neither of you is requiring the other to to change how you think or how you feel. Pleasing is a different story. Pleasing is a different story. And now this is like a machlokas out there. Pleasing is a different story because sometimes I have certain needs that are not being met. Ladies who are listening to this, you can be like, feel like, you know, if we talk about quality time all the time, my husband doesn't spend quality time with me. What do I do? Okay, then sometimes you have to give him instructions. Don't get me wrong. But you have to let him be his own person. You have to let him be his own person. You have to let her be her own person. So you can be apart without falling apart. This is how she says it. I think it's a beautiful line. You can be apart without falling apart. You can be together without losing your individuality. So what's love? Love is about the freedom of being yourself and being loved just the way you are, even if you're different from your partner. And again, I'm talking about your personality, who are you, how you feel, your interests, etc., etc., etc. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about behavioral stuff where well, we're not spending quality time. Well, I don't need quality time. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about emotional stuff. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples the she cites of enmeshment. Again, for those of you who are just joining us, we're talking about enmeshment, fusion, codependency in your relationship where you feel that either you or your spouse are just a little bit too much connected. Too much. There's too much going on. And that's very, very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy and it's also very dangerous. And we're going to talk soon about why it's dangerous. But let me give you a couple of examples here. Number one, let's talk about families. Family members, when family f- members feel threatened by each other's growth and independent choices, both big and small, that's enmeshment. Where somebody in your family uses fear, obligation, or guilt, or for that matter, emotional blackmail, to keep the others in line, that's enmeshment. When mo- one person feels that they need permission from the other, while the diminished partner's needs go unvoiced and unmet, that's enmeshment. Like, I can't do things for myself. Let me go ask you. You think I should do this? You think I should do that? The other thing? That's, that's enmeshment. I'm over-dependent, codependent, fused. It's dangerous. When I feel like I can't make decisions for myself, I constantly have to ask my wife about this, about that. I constantly have to ask my husband about this, about that. That could be dangerous. That could be enmeshment. Obviously, you have to, things have to be balanced. There are times you do want to speak. Many times you want to speak to your wife about making a decision. Sometimes you should. You must speak to your wife about making a decision. But not every move you make. 
if chas v'shalom privacy is seen to be secretive, so family members have access to each other's personal papers, emails, correspondence. Oh, what do you mean? Our family, there's no, you know, everything is open. Everything's on the table. I could take a look at, I'll give you an example, you know. Now, you have to be careful with what I'm about to say because there are many, many areas of trust where what I'm about to say is not necessarily so true. But in general, those of you who have phones and your husbands or wives are texting, you, you should be giving your wife some privacy. You should be giving your husband some privacy. And again, I'm not talking about trust issues. I'm talking about, you know, you're trusting your husband. You know, Chas Shalom is not doing anything. Or trusting your wife. You know, Chas Shalom, she's not doing anything that's not Kahagan. And she's texting. You don't need to constantly look at her texts. You shouldn't be constantly looking at her texts. You don't need to constantly be looking at his texts. You shouldn't be looking constantly at his texts. And as a matter of fact, you should generally not look at his texts. Okay, if there's trust issues then also you shouldn't be looking. Then obviously you need intervention. You need help. You should be seeking counseling, therapy, coaching, whatnot. But in general, there's, you have to maintain certain boundaries in your relationship. It's not just all open. People want to feel a certain sense of independence. You should feel a certain sense of independence in your relationship. This is very true for in-laws. If you're an in-law and you're listening to this, you should not be giving advice to your daughter, to your son-in-law. You should not be just telling you should do this, you do that. That's, that's crossing boundaries. Of course you want to help them. I know that you want to help your daughter-in-law or daughter, and you see the baby's not being taken care of, and they're not feeding the child, etc., etc., etc. You have to be very, very careful. Do not cross boundaries. Let them live their own life. Do not cross... As you know, I know stories of in-laws that just come into their children's homes unannounced. Can you imagine? They just open the door and come inside. What do you mean? That's, that's what we do. No, no, no. It's not what you do. You don't do that. That's dangerous. That's toxic. That, that, that's not Kedusha. That's not Kedusha at all. We have to maintain a certain sense of independence. Anava does not mean feeling like a loser. Anava does not mean, yeah, whatever you want, whatever. You know, Hashem, you're everything. I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing. No, no. Anava means, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're so amazing. You're so great. I have awe just thinking about you. I have Yiras Shamayim. Yiras does not mean I'm scared of Hashem. We should be scared of Hashem. But Yiras Shamayim means, means I'm awe in Hashem. It's like, wow, Hashem, I'm, compared to you, I, I feel like you're so amazing, you're so wonderful. I can't, I can't even talk about who you are. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that I have to feel like I'm a nothing. I, have to, I should feel accomplished. I should feel good about myself, about the decisions that I made, about the ishtalas that I made. That's a success. The success is all Hashem. But I should feel good. And that stands true in a relationship also. It's not just complete transparency. Complete transparency. You take a look, whatever you want, just anything. You, should, you could take a look. I'm not hiding from you. It's a balance. I'm not hiding from you, but you shouldn't be constantly pondering into my stuff. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. Like, I, I want to have my own life too. And that's even in a marriage. I want to have my own, my own thing too. If it's not, then it's called enmeshment, fused, codependency. Now, let's talk about the emotional aspects of this. Let's talk about the emotional aspects of this. Oh, you didn't know where this topic, where this class is going to go to, huh? I know some of you are now listening intently. I, I, I know this because I know this, is, this involves many, many couples' relationships. It really does. That what? There's an emotional aspect, meaning like if you're feeling or you feel like your spouse, it's just like you constantly need to satisfy each other. 
you constantly have to spend time with each other like the whole day. If I could just spend all day with you, I want to spend all day and all night with you. You know, when you first get married, that's healthy. But after your marriage progresses, you need to maintain some sort of independency. You need to maintain some sort of sense of self, meaning I have my own things that I do. And it's okay for me to do my own things, and it's okay for you to do your own things. And yes, we spend quality time with each other, and if we don't, oh boy, it's a problem. You're right. But it doesn't mean we have to spend all day with each other. It doesn't mean that if it's, if it's 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's like you want to spend more time, but your spouse is now getting tired, you can say to your spouse, I would love to spend more time with you. I really would, but I'm getting tired, so maybe I could go to sleep. And then the other spouse has to respect that. The other spouse has to say, okay, okay, I would love to spend more time with you, but I could respect that. Okay, fine, fine. Because otherwise, if you can't, that's a sense, that's, that's a big, uh, let's call it a, a, a big sign, a big symptom of enmeshment. And you have to be careful. You have to be very, very, very careful. Enmeshment and fusion and codependency is very dangerous. Let me tell you why. First of all, it places a heavy burden on the others to meet all their needs, spoken or unspoken, which they cannot do. This inevitably will lead to disappointment because you can't, you can't, I cannot meet all your emotional needs. I can't, I can't. A man cannot do that for his wife and a woman cannot do that for her husband. It can't. You have to have some emotional needs that you maintain and get from yourself. And again, I have to be careful when I'm saying this because some of you are just not spending any quality time with your spouses and you're not connecting, but I'm talking about where it's enmeshed or it's fused. What's going to happen is there's going to be hypersensitivity, meaning it's like a constant feeling. Okay, actually, I just want to say something else here before, before I go into why it's unhealthy. We have a little time, but Mr. Shem will be able to cover all this today. I, I want to explain why enmeshment why fusion, why codependency in your relationship even exists. I just want to explain why it happens. There could be two reasons. Number one is because you just happen to grow up in a house where everything is open, and we just take a, there's no privacy. We know each other's accounts. We know exactly how much money everybody has in their accounts. I could go through my brother's wallet. I could go through my sister's purse. I, you know, I, my father and mother could come into my room at any time, not a problem. I could go into their room anytime. When you grow up in such a type of environment, you sort of take it with you, and that's, that's reason number one. Reason number two is because you had an unhealthy attachment with your parents. That's reason number two, either both or one, meaning you did not feel the love, the validation, the security, your parents, you never felt that your parents were there for you. And by the way, I'm not blaming parents. This is, this is it just happened for whatever reason. It's usually these things are multi-generational. It came from their parents. So many times it comes from the Holocaust, Nebuch, where we, you know, people are just, it's, just, uh, it, it's, it's parts and pieces of the suffering that we, that we went through. But when you grow up with an unhealthy attachment, depending on your personality, your physiology, it, there's no rules in these things because there are many, many components that can attribute to this. But when you grow up with an unhealthy attachment, many times you come into a relationship being very needy, very, very needy. By the way, this applies both to men and to women. Um, yeah, I, okay. from my experience, and you, know, you could say what you want, um, it seems like it's definitely higher by women. 
but it happens many times. Some of you listen, ladies listening, this is like, what do you mean? My husband's just like that. You're right. Many times it happens when your husbands are like this. But when they're coming from a poor attachment, they become very emotionally needy, extremely emotionally needy. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't meet their emotional needs. You should meet their emotional needs. However, sometimes, sometimes we have to take accountability for our emotional needs. And when it becomes hypersensitive, meaning where I just need too much, we have to take a step back. We have to take a step back because what's also going to happen, what's going to happen is when I want to spend all day with you, nonstop, I just want to be with you all day and all night. I don't want to do anything myself. I just want you to be there for me. What's also going to happen is I'm going to feel very vulnerable in the relationship. And if you're going to say something that implies criticism or if you're going to say or if you're going to act in a certain way that could be defined as you don't like me, I'm going to get very scared. I'm going to get very, very, very scared. And I'm going to get very defensive. And I'm going to start attacking you because I feel like you don't love me. I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like you're not going to be there for me. And because I come from a home that I need this, what happens is I get very, very hurt. Very, very hurt. And you're right. And I'm very sensitive. I'm very, very sensitive. This is dangerous. This is very dangerous. Enmeshment, fusion, codependency is very, very dangerous. And in enmeshed relationships, we're not, ex- we're not experiencing our partner as they are, but as we want them to be constantly to us. True connection and love grows when two individuals are authentic with each other, not when they over-demand the other to be a twin. Your husband is not your shadow. Your wife is not your shadow. They're there to connect with you. They're there to be there with you. They're there to satisf- to accommodate certain needs. But not, and basar echad, basar echad. Basar echad means that we're, we're completely connected to each other. But on the other hand, we do have our own authentic feelings, interests, stuff. You know, it's okay if my wife wants to go out with her friends one night. They're celebrating one of her friends' birthdays party. That's okay. That's fine. It's okay if my husband wants to go out with the guys on Thursday night and learn and then have some challenge. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not enmeshed. I'm not fused. Because if that is happening, it becomes very, very dangerous. And what's dangerous about it, ladies and gentlemen, what's dangerous about it is that the dial goes from, let's say, 5 to 10. Your sensitivity dial, your sensitivity dial is moved forward, sort of rotates clockwise, and the result of it is high conflict. You hearing me? This is very important. I hope you listen now. I hope you just stop it. What are doing? Listen to me. When you're hypersensitive in your relationship and you feel like you need so, 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 so much, there's going to be a lot of conflict. And many of you are seeing this in your spouses, maybe in yourselves where you're feeling over needy. <sighs> okay. You know, I, I, when, I'm, when I talk, honestly, and I know a lot of people listen to the show, Baruch Hashem, I have to be so careful. I know I have to be careful because people take what I say. It is. It's very, very serious. And I, I can tell you, I put, I put a lot. I, I can't tell you how much time I put into, into these shows, into these classes with Hulu. But I have to be careful because sometimes when I say, be careful of being over needy, people who are not getting their basic needs in their relationships, meaning 
They're not getting quality time with their husband. They're not getting respect from their husband. They're not getting validation from their wife. They're not getting appreciation from their wife. They try to sort of compensate that by telling themselves that they're too needy or they're hypersensitive. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this class is all about. What I'm talking about is when you're getting the basic needs, like every other healthy couple you get, but you want more. You want more and more and more and more. You need more and more. You feel like your spouse needs and needs more. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Now, I want to say something. Gentlemen who are listening to the show right now, a lot of you who are listening to me right now, because I, I know many times when I speak about this, it triggers a, it triggers a lot in men. It could, be, it could be women also, but generally men, where you might be listening and saying, oh, boy, Robert Greenfield, you're talking about my wife. Now you're talking about my wife. I can't believe this. I stopped the car. You're talking about my wife. This is my wife. She's crazy needy. It's not normal. It's really, really not normal. It's like I can, I can never make her happy. I can never make her happy. This is what you might be feeling. Two things, gentlemen. Two things. Number one, she might not be needy. First assess your relationship. Are you really giving her what she needs? That's question number one. Be real with yourself. And if you can't, ask someone who knows you. You love. You're Rosh Hashiva. You're Rebbe. That's number one. Number two, you're married. So it doesn't make a difference. And this is not about coming and attacking your wife and saying, you know, I heard the show and you really are so needy and you're hypersensitive and you're enmeshed and you're fused and you're codependent and I can't believe who you are. That's not what this is about. This is about realizing what's going on but not blaming. Not blaming. Because your wife's neediness or hypersensitivity or your husband's emotional wild neediness or hypersensitivity is something that exists. It's MS. He's not doing or she's not doing it because she woke up in the morning and says, oh, I want to be too needy. That's part of their system. And what we have to do is we have to figure out how to deal with that. Number one, how to accommodate her or his hypersensitivity, wild emotional needs, uh, crazy expectations. Number one, I'm going to try to accommodate you as much as I can, as much as I can. Why? Because that's what commitment is all about. That's what marriage is about, and that is what a Kodesh Baruch wants me to do. That's number one. But number two, if I feel that I've tried everything that I can, done everything that I can, and I'm giving you and giving you and giving you, and I don't stop giving you, and you still want more, then we might need help. Then we might need help. Then we might need guidance. Maybe we'll read some books. Maybe we have to do some cognitive uh, behavioral self-therapy. Maybe we could start with reading books. Then we can get help. But you know what? Let's work on it together. Let's be a team. Let's not blame each other for this. This is not about blaming. This is about realizing the facts. And this is not about, I can't live with you anymore. I, I just can't take it. I just can't live with this guy anymore. I can't live with this woman anymore. I, I just can't. It's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about unfathomed commitment. Kedushin is unfathomed commitment. No matter what, no matter what, I will be there for you. That's, that's the attitude. That's the attitude. Gitin is not something that, you know, it's an option. It's not, it's, it's not an option. It's, it's there as an amputation because there's nothing else to do. It's not one of the options. Nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. It's not an option anymore. Nothing else to do. Do you understand what I'm, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I really hope you understand. This is not about blame. This is about realizing that sometimes our relationships could be enmeshed Sometimes our relationships could be fused. Sometimes we can have codependent relationships. And it's very, very dangerous. Now, I want to tell you, before you're, you're listening to, you know, you're listening to like, oh, boy, I need therapy, I need counseling, I need coaching. A lot of the avoda you could do your own. A lot of the avoda you could do your own, just to realize that you're enmeshed. 
just to realize that you're fused, just to realize that that you just might be too needy in the relationship and to work on yourself so long as you're getting the basic needs that you need, not to be so needy, meaning to find things to do yourselves, to pursue your hobbies, to let yourself maybe once in a while read a kosher book, to let yourself once in a while do your own thing, listen to your own music, whatever it is, and not like, where's my husband, where's my husband, where's my husband? How many husbands do I have who complain to me that, that their wives does not stop pursuing them all day? Where are you? What's going on? Where are you? Are you coming here? Are you coming there? It's like, doesn't stop. It's like, I can't. I can't. My wife is too much. I, I seriously can't. I can't live like this. So gentlemen, first of all, you could live like this. You could say, you know, whatever. But second of all, you're right. She might need help. You might need help together. So maybe you should pursue. Maybe get her a book. Maybe speak to her. To her madricha, uh, maybe you know, suggest. Obviously, you have to do requests, and you know, the way we always speak about request. Maybe we should go for therapy. Maybe we should go for counseling. Maybe she needs individual therapy. But before you do that, ladies who are listening to this, think about to yourselves: Are you doing this? Are you constantly pursuing your husband all day, all night? If you are, take a step back. You can do it yourself. You don't always need therapy. You can try to do it yourself. Take a step back. Say to yourself, why am I so needy? I think it's a little bit too much. Let me refocus my attention on other things that I like. Let me try to get fulfillment in other areas. Because this is not what Hashem wants. This is not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to pursue my husband all day. This is not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to pursue my wife all day. There are many men who are like this also. We have to take the step back. Now, <sighs> wow, this was loaded. I didn't realize how loaded it is. Okay, now. The other piece of this is when it comes to negotiation. You know, I talk about negotiation, which is part of marriage, right? This prevention from going into negotiation. That's the categories that, that you know, we put together as far as marriage is concerned. Most important is prevention and it's, and it's foregoing and negotiation. Negotiation shouldn't, should not happen often at all. I mean, negotiation should hardly happen because if you're going to negotiate or Mind, I take a better word here. I mean, criticize your spouse. It's going to create distance between you two. You're not going to feel connected. You're going to start feeling disconnected. That's not good. Remember, we said marriage is a healthy dose of dependency and independency, right? So you got to be careful. But many times what happens in, uh, what happens, first of all, people are negotiating to, Actually, they're not negotiating. They're criticizing each other. The husband is criticizing his wife all the time, and the wife is criticizing her husband all the time. And it's just happening too often. So number one, it should, should, not, should hardly happen because it causes distance, and you're going to have to repair the damage. It's like going, entering into a burning building. you know. So number one, you're definitely going to cause distance. And number two, there's a 50% chance that you're going to cause your spouse to put his or her angry hats on. Those of you listening to my shows, you know what I mean by hats. And there's going to be an explosion. Yes, there's going to be an explosion. One of you is going to blow a gasket, as somebody wants to tell me from Texas. Blow a gasket. So there's only two times ever you want to risk negotiating or criticizing entering the fire. And that's there's only two times, right? Either number one. First of all, first of all, before you even ever, ever do this a whole, I have, and I'm going to do this part of my workshop, Mr. Shem. We're going to have it available. I know I keep on promising, but in Mr. Shem, it's going to be available. There's 10 steps before you negotiate. Really, 10 steps before you do it. 
uh, you know, make sure you don't have your hats on, etc. But the only time you ever consider it is if, it, A, there was an atom bomb, right? Your wife or your husband dropped an atom bomb on you, and you're just like, you don't know what to say. They've embarrassed you so much in front of your father and mother. You gave yourself the hour. You try to distract yourself. You try to breathe and everything, and nothing happened, whatever. That's number one. Or number two, there's a toxic pattern which is happening over and over and over again, and you know if your husband's going to do this again, you're just going to lose it. You can't. You can't. You just can't control something. Or if your wife is doing this again, you're going to lose it, right? Now, there has to be space for negotiation in your relationship. You're hearing me? I hope you're all listening. This is very important. It shouldn't happen often. It should happen rarely. And I'm not talking about negotiation on like a daily basis. But once in a while, there has to be space for negotiation. And a man should not feel, I say man because many men complain this about me, a man should not feel that if he comes over to his wife in a nice, beautiful, premeditated way and speaks to her about his feelings, something that bothers him, that he should feel that his wife will get upset at him for bringing up the issue. No, that's not, that's not a healthy relationship. That's more of an enmeshed, fused, codependent relationship. Because, you know what? This stands true for women also. Women also sometimes need to speak to their husbands. And they don't have to feel like their husband's going to flip out on them because they mentioned them something about money. It's like, hello, like, I could talk to you about money. Obviously, I have to be careful, but I could talk to you about it. So there has to be space for negotiation. If you're finding that when your husband or wife comes to you, and I'm not talking about daily. I'm talking about once in a while they come to you and open up their feelings to you. They start becoming transparent. They're not attacking you, but they're telling you how they felt. You know, This is a whole other class. I'm not doing this right now. This is a class on enmeshment. And they're coming to you, and they're telling you how they feel about a certain impasse that happened, certain issue that happened. They were hurt or they feel uncomfortable, or it makes them feel this, that, the other thing, and it might be portrayed as negative, and you feel that you can't talk to me about this. I don't understand that you're supposed to love me. You can't come to me with kindness. I'm sorry. Now I'm starting to feel unloved by you. Now I'm starting to feel unloved by you, and I'm sorry. First, you have to reassure me that you love me, you care about me. I'm not saying that part of this process has to include reassurance, but if your wife, or not your wife, if you are not allowing your husband, or you are not allowing your wife to negotiate, chances are that you are in an enmeshed, fused, codependent relationship, and you have to take a step back and say, you know what, I, I got to take a step back. I, I, it's just too much. I, I feel like maybe, maybe I am a little bit too, too needy. Maybe I am because my husband and my wife should be able to be open with me as long as they're not attacking me. Not about attacking, but if they're just opening other things, you know, I felt very uncomfortable. I know you didn't mean it. And you probably weren't thinking about it, but I felt very uncomfortable. He said that thing in front of my father, my mother, both man and woman, right? For me to be able to say, okay, let me think about it. Okay, either I'm sorry, the best thing, I'm sorry. Or if you can't say I'm sorry, to at least be able to say, if I would have known that would hurt your feelings, I wouldn't have done it. That's like saving grace. I, use, I call that the fire escape. If I would have known that that's going to hurt your feelings, if I would have known that that's going to bother you, if I would have known that coming late would have caused all this distress, I would not have done it, and I apologize for that. And if you can't handle that right away, you might need space, you might need time, then you might be enmeshed. Thank you. You could text feedback, 917-397-2841, 917-397-2841. Thank you, and have an amazing, amazing week.